G'day, everybody. I'll introduce myself. I'm Phil. That's about it. Hey, um, tonight, uh, my message is, uh, firstly, thanks, Beth, for inviting me to speak. It's, uh, it's going to be fun, a lot of fun. And uh, my message is called, I want to put a pebble in your shoe. And uh, will you take a pebble and put it in your shoe for me? And uh, I want to kick it off with Mark Twain. <coughs> Mark, Tain, uh, Mark Twain, as you know, was an American author who wrote uh, The Adventures of uh, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. No, he didn't write Mission Impossible 3, but he could have. And anyway, Mark Twain, he wrote those things, and he, he was writing a letter to his friend, and he said, uh, I was going to send you a short letter, but I ran out of time, so I sent you a long letter instead. instead. And what he's getting at is it takes a lot of time to condense something in a very short space of words. And so tonight, what I want to talk about is the extravagant love of God towards us. And you go, how do you condense that in 20 or 25 minutes when it takes a lifetime to discover? But uh, I also learned that our lives are not changed by books. Our lives aren't changed by paragraphs. Our, li- our lives are changed by sentences or just words. You know, somebody can can read a book and go, wow, what an incredible book, but really it was only about four sentences that changed their life. And so tonight we're kicking off with Genesis 1, 26 to 27, where it says that uh, God says, let us make man in our image. In our image, let us create him. Let us create him man and woman. And ever since that time, man has been repaying God the favor of actually creating him in our image. We've returned the favor, we've repaid the favor of trying to create God in our own image. But you see, God is too loving to let us uh, live like that. And so what he does in his incredible wisdom is to send us trials and tribulations in order to jolt us out of some ridiculous image and, and to make sure that, that he will not be domesticated. God will not be conformed to our image. Because you see, in our times of, of peace and of pleasure, we hear God's voice as a whisper. But in the times of our pain and suffering, God roars at us in our pain. And so tonight, I, I, I want to... Um, uh, there, there was one of the leading theologians of our time that I think he's just a, a marvellous, marvellous person. He has uh, been incredibly influential in my life. And I actually have a picture of him. Blake, can you chuck that up, that picture? Thanks, mate. It's Mr. Beaver. <laughs> you see... He's one of our leading theologians of our time, Mr. Beaver. Mr. Beaver himself starred in a movie called uh, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, the author himself... Yeah, that's correct, Narnia. <coughs> Thanks for playing. And so, uh, <laughs> anybody else? What was his last... What was his first name? What was Mrs. Beaver's name? Correct, Mrs. Beaver. Anyway, so what happened was uh, he starred in a movie. Cute little guy. I had lunch with him the other week. We actually had a Passover meal. All the best, Phil. He just, he's just an awesome guy. <laughs> you should meet him one day. So what happened was uh, he started a movie. He got the starring role in uh, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's an incredible scene <coughs> where Susan is there and, uh, and he's explained to Susan and he says these things to Susan. He said, uh, Aslan, and obviously C.S. Lewis was a Christian and The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is about Christ and, and Aslan himself, the lion, is Christ. And so uh, he, uh, he kicks off and he says, Aslan, he's a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? 
I, I fear that I would be quite nervous meeting him. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Safe? No, whoever said he was safe? He's a lion. He's not safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. So what, what we need to do is realize that God will not be tamed. Jesus comes in many names. He's the, both the Lamb of God and he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will come as a lion to us and interrupt our lives and disrupt our lives in order to get our attention. See, he will not be tamed. His love is too ferocious to be tamed. His love is too outrageous to be tamed. He cannot be tamed. Uh, there's the book of Ephesians, and the reason why he can't be tamed is because his love is, is called great. It's the great love of God because there is no human equivalent to it. There is no human equivalent to the love of God. And that's why Paul the Apostle, he wrote in uh, Romans 5.8, talks about the great love of God. And in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians was written in AD 62, Paul was in prison in Rome. And uh, prison at that time was an interesting, t- interesting place to be. Uh, sometimes it was laid in floors or just in holes. And so the excrement from the floor above you would just flood your cell. So Paul most likely was, was in amongst excrement, excrement when he wrote this unbelievable letter to, to churches in, in minor Asia. And somehow the Ephesians picked it up. You can chuck that down because nobody's listening to me, Blair. You can chuck that down, Blair. Blair chucked it down. <laughs> Fantastic. I like AV guys. I am one. Uh, thanks, Blair. <coughs> and so he, oh, Bailey, sorry, man. No one didn't answer me. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Brian. So what happened was, so, uh, so he wrote this letter, and the Ephesian church picked it up, and, and it's marvelous. And Ephesians 2 would kick it off, and Ephesians 2 verses one to five, and he kicks it off because it's an encouragement to the church in Ephesus to say, hey, you know, you are believers. Don't, don't lose. Don't forget what happened. It's a letter of encouragement that we need to hear over and over and over again because we soon forget these important truths in the midst of doing life. And he kicks it off and he says, once you were dead, what a kicker. I just love Paul. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. For he is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passion, desires, and inclinations of our sinful nature. For by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, All of us used to live that way. But God, but God who is so rich in mercy and because of his great love towards us, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For you are saved by the grace of God. You can't take credit for it. You go, wow. Jesus Christ did not die for you because you are valuable. He died for you because he is good. If Jesus Christ died for you because he is valuable, then his sacrifice was not a sacrifice. He just paid the appropriate price for a purchase. 
He just paid the right price for us. So it's, it's quite freeing to know that Jesus Christ did not die for me because I'm valuable. Ephesians 1, let's drop back to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 8. And uh, he kicks it off and says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ because we are united with Jesus Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us. You've got to hear this. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. For God decided in advance, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. He did this because it gave him great pleasure. So we pray, that's unbelievable. He did this because it gave him great pleasure. God chose us in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. There's very little on our end that we do. So all praise to God. For he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave all our sins. For he has lavished upon us his grace and kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. You see, Christ did not die for us because of our personality. He did not die for us because of our good looks or our masculine physique like Dan Brody, you know, this big guy. You know, he didn't die because of that. He didn't didn't die because of our gifts and our talents. He didn't die because we had incredible intelligence intelligence or or we've traveled places more than anybody else. Jesus died for us because he is good. You see, God's love for us is not just unconditional, it's contra conditional. It's much deeper than unconditional love. It's contrary conditional because God loved us contrary to everything that was in our nature. And you go, that is great love. And that is a relief. <clears throat> Isn't it a relief to know that I'm not valuable? Let's try it over here. Uh, <laughs> Isn't a relief? You see, this is, this is where uh, we get concerned because we go, oh, hold on. I think I'm pretty good. Yeah, that's the problem. We do. <laughs> we unfortunately do. See, God did not die for us because we're valuable. Because his, his, his death was a sacrifice. And that's a relief. Because as human beings, as opposed to being Vulcans, live long and prosper, or even Klingons. Klingons are, I think, people in codependent relationships. And oh, I can't let you go. They actually don't have relationships. They have hostages. But anyway, um, <laughs> the thing is, it's a relief because as human beings, we want to know why we love because then we build our whole life on it. We build our whole life, our whole ridiculous identity is built around that which we think people love for us. So we spend our life grooming our hair, building our muscles, etc. Like, and, so, and so what happens... <laughs> and so the problem is we build a ridiculous self-identity around it and we live in misery for the rest of our lives. Because you know what, if, if that changed, if that value in you changed, what happens to the love? He has to drop it. Because he said, I loved you for that. The acid test of Christianity is this question. Do you know that God died for you? Why did God die for you? And if you answered 
Well, it's because his, his job description, you know, I'm, I'm a moral guy, I, I do good things to other people. Besides, you know, uh, God owes me, I've earned it. And so the, the result to, to that answer is, well, you're religious, but you're not a Christian. You know, because religious people is about morality, and we all know that morality is not Christianity. If you answered, Jesus died, died for me, and that is unbelievable. That is so incredible. It is outrageous that he would do that. Why me? There, there's no reason why Jesus would die for me. But he did it, and that's crazy. A result, you're a true believer. Because you realize God is not in your debt. You're in God's debt. You see, God's love, the goal of God's love isn't to make us moral people because morality is nothing more than brain deep, really, is it? It's nothing more than scraping the scum off the top of your brain and the problem with that is you start uh, living with two, two, two identities. In other words, it's pride or fear. Pride that you think you're better than somebody else. A moral person who, who lives in moral conformity thinks they're just better than somebody else. Because they're, they're the first ones to go, oh, yeah, well, I don't do that. Well, oh, dear, did you hear about what they did? That's a moral person. Or they live in fear of, oh, my gosh, I've got to live up to now these standards that I've set, and I'm so scared if I don't, I'm going to be punished. The thing is, the goal of Christ is to change us into the likeness of Christ himself. It's to transform us, whatever we've been speaking about tonight. The goal of God's love is to transform us into the image of Christ. And you go, my goodness. Because being changed into the image of Christ is about holiness. And holiness is life deep. Morality is brain deep. Holiness is life deep. Holiness permeates your entire being and affects the way you think. It affects the way you operate. It affects... Probably don't even need this. It affects the way that... Uh, the decisions you make, it affects your family, it affects your marriage, it affects your work, it should affect your church life, where you become the people who, hey, what can I do? You know, Beth, what can I do? Hold on, can I join? Can I take responsibility for this? It affects every part of your life. And that's the beauty of it, that you don't remain the same. See, there's a great example of, uh, of a man being changed in the Bible, and he's one of my heroes. He's not Beaver, but um, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> Uh, I'll read that book one day. Um, and it's the Apostle John. You see, John and his brother James, they were called the sons of thunder. Jesus actually called them the sons of thunder. And if Jesus names somebody, it's for a very good reason. So these guys were the sons of thunder. I reckon they'd be a great act for WWF. You know, here comes the sons of thunder! And they're playing, a hit, you know... Uh, the blood, the blood, the blood, whatever. And so these guys, James and John, were the sons of thunder for a very good reason. Number one, they were big, burly fishermen with very crusty hands. They lived a tough life all day, fishing, 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 fishing. But I love there's a moment in Luke 9, 34, where, uh, and I just really enjoy this part, uh, where Jesus and his disciples come to a town and they can't get accommodation. They're rejected from that town. And so John goes, you want to call down fire from heaven upon him, Jesus? And I go, yeah, bring it, man. <laughs> I just want to find that ref who cheated the Cowboys out of the last Bronco game. I go, yeah, bring it, Jesus. Do it now. Wouldn't it be great? You're sitting in the stands and you look at the ref and you go, 
dude, it's, ca- it's coming. I'm bringing the thunder, buddy. And so, no, that's not right. Come on, we're Christians here. And so, we, sh- we shouldn't be thinking like that at all. But anyway, and so these guys who said, should we call down thunder? I'm going, what does it take? This guy's hanging with Jesus. He's hanging with him and he still asks the question. That's why I like John. He didn't mess around. He still asked the question. So but we, we see further where, where John actually becomes the apostle of love. And you go, what transformation creates a son of thunder to become an apostle of love? And you go, it's because of the transforming love of God. And that's why in, in uh, 1 John 3 verses 1, we actually see transformation happening within this man, uh, John, he, he's, he's in his room and, and he's writing this letter and, and, uh, uh, and, and there's, there's a lamp, an oil lamp, and it's, it's flickering shadows on the wall and he's writing to, to my dear children, which is the church, which is the people he's responsible for, and, and he's writing and then he, he gets to this, this moment and he says, and it's almost like he pushes away from the table and he says, oh my goodness, what manner of love is this that we should be called children of God? And, then, and that is what we are. You see, this happened about 70 AD. Jesus left his 33 AD. 40 years later, he's still getting it. And so it is as with you and I, that he was still getting the revelation and he was still transforming his life. And you go, what incredible, incredible beauty is that? You see, the gospel, let me have a quick look. See, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed within ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever dare hope for. That's the love of God, the great, great love of God, that we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ that we could ever dare hope for. Look, God doesn't talk about your sin to trash you. God talks about your sin because we aren't. And we're, we're, we are created in the image of God. We are formed in the image of God to be his image bearers. And God himself has a higher and a brighter plan for you, you and our, my life than we could ever dream or imagine. You see, God directs us inwards in order to direct us outward. He directs us outward from ourselves to his incredible love, his inexhaustible grace, the magnificence of his nature. God directs us inward in order that we go outwards. We're not to stay here, oh, I'm just a sinner. Jesus says, no, I've come to, to remedy that. I will rectify that in your life. He, so, he says, I want to point you outwards to my inexhaustible grace. See, I, I call this a pebble in your shoe because, um, you know, we had to, look, David said in one meeting, you know, grace is not easy. You know, the, those sentences that just, he said it. Why did he have to say it? You know, because I've been just thinking about it for about four years. You know, you just study it because I went, grace is not easy. What, what's he talking about? What would David know? <laughs> Beth, <laughs> it's just been recorded. <laughs> Can we just... <laughs> Live stream, oh, fantastic. We love you, David. Anyway, you're a great boss. Uh, 
And so what happens is it gets you to think about stuff. So what does he mean grace is not easy? Grace is not easy because it doesn't come easy to us. We like law. We like rules and regulations and everything. Bam, bam, bam. This is how it works. You see that in the early 20th century, uh, a London newspaper called The Times, it's... Uh, it uh, invited all the, the great authors, the national authors at the time, to weigh in to a discussion, to weigh into a question. And the question was, what is wrong with the world? You know, and all these great men and great minds would great, write long essays and, and pontificate about, well, it's the government. It's, a, it's about Germany at the time. It's about the, the lower class. It's about this. It's about this. One man sent in a, a letter and he was a, he's a great author. He sent in the letter and he said, Dear Sirs, I am yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. That man was able to nail one of the most incredible truths in a very short space of time. He condensed it because he said, The moment that we accept that we are part of the problem and the moment that we then yield ourselves to the ferocious love of Jesus Christ, we become the solution in the world. There is a wonderful song. Um, I will not sing it, Stephen, but, um, because people will leave the building. And uh, it's a song by um, Amanda Cook and Stephanie Gertzringer. And uh, it's called Pieces. And it's a new song that Les and I have found, and, and we just think it's just remarkable. <clears throat> and it says, um, it's about the love of God. And it goes unreserved, unrestrained. Your love is wild. Your love is wild for me. It isn't shy. It's unashamed. Your love is proud to be seen with me. You don't give your heart in pieces. You don't hide yourself to Jesus. Uncontrolled, uncontained. Your love is a fire burning bright for me. It's not just a spark. It's not just a flame. Your love is a light. And all the world will see. Your love's not fractured. It's not a troubled mind. It isn't anxious. It's not the restless kind. Your love's not passive. It's never disengaged. It's always present. It hangs on every word we say. Love keeps its promises. It keeps its word. It honors what's sacred because its vows are good. Your love's not broken. It's not insecure. Your love's not selfish. Your love is pure. This is God. This is God. And this is what you and I have been transformed into. This is God. Who wouldn't want it? <laughs> Who wouldn't want it? The inexhaustible grace of God the uncontrolled love of the line of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. With every eye closed and head bowed, I want to ask you a question. Have you said yes to Jesus? And with your, every eye closed and eye and head bowed, if you want to say yes to Jesus tonight, I invite you to just to stick up your hand where you are. Say, Phil, it's my time. Just do it. Just do it. I see your hand. 
I see that. I see a hand over there. I see a hand here. I see a hand at the back. This is your night. I see your hands down the back. This is your night. If you want to say, yes, Jesus. I see your hand down there. I see your hand there. Thanks, mate. You can put your hands down. If you want to say yes to Jesus, this is your night. This is your night to start an incredible journey. Incredible journey into the, the image of Christ. Father, I, I thank you for these people who have said yes to you. Thank you for this evening, Lord. You're incredible, wonderful, uh, generous presence with us. Can we stand? Can we stand, please? What I'd like to do as we stand is, there's going to be no embarrassment, but um, this is an opportunity for a response. Um, and I invite those who put up their hand to say, Phil, this is my night. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Um, as we've seen, but there's others that who, who want prayer. Uh, we have leaders here uh, that would love to pray for you. Uh, we would invite you to come. Just come. It's not going to be an embarrassing thing. I'm not going to call your name out or anything like that. It's just an opportunity for you to come and say, yeah, Jesus, I receive you. I receive you this night. And somebody will pray with you and pray for you. Just as we sing this last song. Thanks, Hannah. And uh, come to the front. Come on down and we'll, we'll spend some time just praying for you.